The Cost Camps Coaches Show, episode 28. Coaches, welcome to the Cost Camps Coaches Show. Today's guest, we have Coach Andy English. Coach English is currently the offensive coordinator at Lower Dolphin High School. Coach English started his coaching career at Palmyra High School. He was there for three years. He was a position coach there, then went to Bishop McDevitt High School for three years as a position coach. He then went to Trinity, was a defensive coordinator there for, there for a year, went to Harrisburg. He was a defensive coordinator there for three years. Then he went to Steelton High Spire, spent five years there as the offensive coordinator and one as a defensive coordinator. Then he went to Lower Dolphin, spent a year as an assistant and a position coach, and now he's the uh, last season he was the offensive coordinator at Lower Dolphin. Coach English, welcome to the Cost Camps Coaches Show. I oh, appreciate it, Mark. Coach English is a um, – we. I don't know if I've had any assistant coaches on yet, like any coordinators. I've had a strength coach. I've had retired coaches. But I think you're the first – coordinator slash assistant coach if my mind serves me correctly i think so um, well i appreciate you putting yeah. me on as a first no problem man um <laughs> so coach and i worked together at lowered often and he his system in terms of our formations what we do formationally is excellent it's awesome and i thought it'd be good for for him to share what we do there and, and uh different parts of that with the rest of the, of the coaching universe because um, I think guys could get a lot out of this. So, Coach, if you – I don't know where you want to start. It's kind of up to you. Um, but I'm just yeah, going to so, just let you roll with it, Coach. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess we'll start with – so, at Steelton, um, we run – really, it's the same offense as Steelton. Um, I installed it – oh, maybe my third year there. And uh, Irby and I kind of came up with this. Uh, we got the power spread from a college, um, you know, piggyback off of a lot of other people like, you know, most of us do. You, you steal the stuff that's, that works for you and whatnot. But we, uh, he and I were both defensive coordinators before we even thought about being offensive coordinators. So we, when we decided to put in this system, it really came down to what were the things that really annoyed us as defensive coordinators. And, you know, one of the things was formations, and you know we we started off pretty basic. I mean, we ran a decent amount of formations. Um, we ran unbalanced on a lot of our formations, and, and really it was just a tag. And then it just kind of expanded from there. So um, it's just one of those things that you know formations, at least in my opinion, easy to teach. A lot of people ask us, you know, how how do we get how do we teach all those formations? How do the kids learn them all? And I'll be honest with you. I think it's probably one of the easiest things that we teach in our system. So, uh, I think a big a big part of it too is um, like you, in practice. I've been part of teams, good teams too, where practice wasn't necessarily. I don't want to say it was. Uh, um, it wasn't like a, a slow pace of practice. There, you know, there was still um, up tempo, but our practices lowered off, and you know, our guys we we run no huddle, and our guys got to go. And and you challenge them with that, and our guys got to be able to think on the run. So when they they know when it's time to practice offense, they got to be ready to to line up in those formations. I think that's a big part of it, coach. 
Yeah, I mean, so I, I think if I remember correctly, uh, I was just looking today. I think we ran 43 total formations this year. Um, and really it comes down to we run a certain amount of base formations. Uh, depending on the year and the personnel, we have 11 base formations, and then we have tags off of that. So really, if you can teach 11 formations, and we don't even run all 11 each year. It depends. Do we have an inline tight end or flex tight end? Can we use somebody as both? You know, how many H-backs do we have or super backs, what we call in our system? You know, are we doing double tights? So there's just a variety of things. And if you have a hybrid kid that can kind of play a position like that in high school, where maybe he can be an H-back and a tight end, um, you know, it really gives you a little bit more flexibility in that regard. But yeah, I mean, you, you teach, let's say, eight formations and let's say you have four tags off of each formation. So one tag is going to mean the same thing in every single formation that you run. So you're really not over teaching things. And, and that's really how it, it makes it easy for our kids to. And, and it was the same as Steelton, too. I mean, you just you add a tag to it and they know the formation. You add a tag and, you know, I teach a Palmyra. So the Palmyra kids would say, well, yeah, I know your hand signals for the for the formations. And I said, yeah, I'll show you right now. I'll teach you every single one because it's not really it doesn't really matter. You know, those formations, I think looking at it from a defensive coordinator perspective, one of the things you do on a Monday practice, uh, you know, when the JV kids are at JV games is you go over formations and how to line up to them. And that takes time. And if you overthink it because the team runs a lot of formations, sometimes you put yourself in a real stressful situation and not necessarily tricking a defensive coordinator, but really just holding those kids accountable on a Friday night, you know, or nowadays a Thursday night or a Saturday. But, um, you know, I'm not, we're not necessarily trying to trick the coaches, although we do want them working extra hard in, you know, preparation through the weekend and, and in the beginning of the week until they get everything solidified. But it really comes down to, are the kids going to remember and, now, Mark, you, this is your first year of high school coaching, uh, I think, and, and you know your time's very limited, right? We talk about time on task all the time, and you know that's just one of those things that if we can get teams to spend more time on task, thinking about what we're doing, we feel like it puts us in a pretty good situation, or at least a, a pretty good advantage, to have some things open for us. You talked about tags, so. When when the uh, when we're installing the the formations or when we're talking about formations, yeah, we there there is. I mean, you you talked about eight or ten different. I mean, when I'm when I'm kind of like breaking it down in my head, like I for me it's it was easy to learn because I, to me it was only like four base formations. And it, when when coach is talking about a tag, so like if you would say stack, it's going to tell a certain set of receivers that they're they're on top of each other. They're they're lining up on you know stacked, just like you would say. So so a tag like that, it it mean it's so simple for for our guys because they know it. But it can be different for a defense that doesn't really see stuff. You know they don't see that on a normal basis. But then on top yeah. of that, coach, on top of mm -hmm. it, this is kind of like a two part thing here. So that the tags are huge. You mentioned that, but then to to then use that use the 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 alignments in 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 order to run our offense and run our our plays and and spread the field out that's another thing too can you talk about like what you did like the tags thing can you talk about 
first of all, we, we don't get into many personnel sets. There aren't many personnel sets. We're kind of in the same uh, set of personnel for, I don't know, 90% of the snaps that we're in at Lowered Often. So that's a big thing. That that helps yeah. a lot. But, I mean, even if you got it, even if we were in different sets, you could do you could still do the tags in those sets. The guys would just have to know the different formations and, and whatever sets we're in. But if you could kind of expand, would you be able to expand on that a little bit? That um, if you want to talk about tags, if you want to talk about, you know, being able to to, to kind of be multiple and and not just it's not just window dressing. We we are we're going to make you pay if you don't align to a certain formation. You're going to see that throughout the course of the game. You want to talk about that a little bit more? Yeah. So, I mean, so I'll, and I'll even. You know, I don't mind saying our tags on here. It's not like it's going to help or hurt one way or the other in terms of, you know, teams that we play against. But so let's say that we're doing unbalanced. Like, and and I'm yelling unbalanced from the sideline. So it's not like the kids can't hear me yelling it from the other team. But um, if I tag, let's say I go doubles. Doubles is a base formation that everybody knows are trips. And I go trips unbalanced. It just tells two kids that they have to adjust in that formation. Nobody else has to think about it. If we go stack like you were talking about, you know, we're stacking it's it's certain receivers. It's two kids on each side, depending if it's a, a two by two set or a three by one set that are gonna stack. Uh, I'll tag special to all kinds of stuff. I know it drives Coach Rally a little bit batty because I use special for a variety of different things. But what do you think when a lot of people hear special, they're like, Oh, it's it's a trick play. Right. Well, special for us means so many different things. But yeah, it really just is is trying to teach maybe one or two kids that have to have an adjustment. And, you know, here's the other thing, too, that actually gives you a huge advantage. What if your kids line up incorrectly? Is it typically usually a, a big deal? Because it doesn't happen often, but it happens because they're high school kids. Nobody's perfect. Sometimes it, it, it actually kind of gives you a little bit of an advantage because now that's more, that's more things you have to look at on film and break down just from a kid possibly misaligning. And because we're no huddle, you know, if, if I call a formation, a kid's misaligned, I can just yell out in the field or the quarterback can make that adjustment because uh, the quarterback's really an extension of what we do anyway. So, um, yeah, it gives us a, a real good advantage because you have to, like, going back to stack what you were talking about, how many times do you see a team that, that stacks receivers? And if they do, you have to have a game plan for it. I remember being at McDevitt. I think we were playing – it could have been York – uh, York High School, and and they stacked. And then we were talking about we we're a press team, and you know who presses, and and the guy that's playing off is the inside leverage, is he stacked leverage? You know, if they release a certain way, how are you going to adjust? And you know, so there's always whether it's zone or man, there's always little things that you can find um, in terms of alignment. Are they an inside alignment? Are they an outside alignment? Are they are they literally you know nose to nose with you? So. Uh, I think in that t- in that regard, it, looking at the numbers game, it gives you a big advantage to, you know, just pick holes. You know, most certainly we do look at, at personnel on the defense and try to try to pick all weak links. But at the same time, you know, you can't always do that unless you have a great football team. Sometimes it's just a matter of can you create a bubble and then get the ball to that bubble and, and hope that one of your kids can make something happen. You you mentioned that our, our quarterback's got to be with it. Yeah, the, the the amount of communication that happens out out there on the field, first of all, between you and the the quarterback, or or you and and whoever someone's got to line up, whatever it is, the amount of communicating that goes out there, it's it's unbelievable, and and you get it right, and it's awesome to see. Just like 
as as the next play is starting to happen. No one's in a rush, but you get these guys lined up where, where they're supposed to be, and then if there's adjustments that have to happen, it's a quick signal and everybody knows what to do. But the quarterback's the guy, or it's got to be somebody, quarterback, running back, they – They've got to be somebody that's really with it and that understands it because I know there are, there were a lot of times when you would communicate something to somebody and they didn't necessarily that didn't really register and then the quarterback was able to kind of put them in the right place. Have you yeah. ever have you ever been in this offense where you didn't have that guy? Uh, yeah, yeah. I would say that we have. Now we were we were in really good shape this year. Um, you know, our quarterback Braden Landis probably one of the best leaders that I've ever coached. Um, we've had some really good quarterbacks, but you know, when we first installed this, Malachi Young was our quarterback at uh, Steelton, and he really, he and I worked all year round, and you know, he just basically understood what I was looking at from my perspective, and um, you know, that made it easy. But you know, we did have some other quarterbacks that didn't quite understand it because maybe they were in the system for only one year, and yeah, they don't make the adjustments quite the same. And, you know, you find a value. I mean, it would be great to have, you know, a D1 quarterback, yeah, a kid that can throw the ball all over the yard. But, you know, our system, we found out that it's it's sometimes even more beneficial to have somebody that can just run your offense and not necessarily have to make all the throws. And, you know, you play to their strengths and weaknesses, but having that leadership ability and that ability to understand what our scheme is and what we're trying to do, really goes a long way. So, yeah, I I think it would probably be difficult in our system to not be the quarterback coach only because they need to know what you're thinking. Like if there's any type of disconnect there, you know, it could be a little bit of a guessing game. Um, and I think, too, the, the quarterbacks get to the point where they're confident that they can do it on their own. You know, I, I probably at the end of the year could have had Braden call our offense at least to a certain degree and have some, some sustained success for the simple fact that he, he just understood what we were trying to do for the most part. The other thing too, um, with, with the no huddle, it just puts defenses on their, on their heels to start because I mean, if they're not, you know, if they want to take their time, we'll speed up, you know, we, we, uh, we'll do some things to speed the game up and, and then they, then now the defense has to understand that they got to speed things up and we'll kind of, get a chance to look at what they're doing and we can adjust and we can make our communication out there. So, so the no huddle part of things is really good too. So the no huddle, the communication and having a guy out there that knows what the heck's going on and all that, you know, all the adjusting that a defense has to do now to those formations, it makes them, it makes it a lot harder, I guess, to play football once the ball snapped. But our guys, they, it still comes down to blocking and tackling. I feel like our guys in most situations are ready to be better blockers than what the other team is tacklers. That's a big advantage of the offense. Yeah, and and I think just to piggyback off that too, Mark, you know, so let's say that we have two good inside linebackers, right? And and we see a lot of four fours, four two fives. You know, I mean, we've seen a variety of things over the years, but typically there's there's a lot of high schools that still run. A four-two-five, a four-four, however you want to look at it. But you know, you have those two inside linebackers, downhill thumpers. Like I think a Cedarcliff, Cedarcliff had two inside linebackers, and, and they were, you know, listen, you run ISO at them, they're coming right down at you. Um, you know, McDevitt had some really good kids, a um, little bit more speed, a little bit more athleticism, the Cedarcliff kids. But you know, then you start getting some of your outside runs and at a, odd formations that maybe they're not used to seeing all the time. 
And all of a sudden, you know, we're not even blocking a play great, but they're not hitting their run fits probably the way they, they want to. And, you know, you just find that seam. And I think that's a little bit of a benefit where, you know, you can get kids a little bit out of character of, of what they do well. Um, you know, and that's just citing one example, just because, you know, going back and watching our playoff game uh, a couple of days ago, uh, just to kind of get a little bit of an idea for, you know, off season stuff. You know, it's just one of those things that you, you pick that stuff up on the huddle sideline, which we have a huge advantage of using in, in high school. And, you know, you get somebody that's really good in the box, which we have with Don Foreman. And, you know, it really just becomes a numbers game. And if somebody's just not hitting run fits, you just keep going after it. I mean, you may run the same play over and over again because they're simply just not hitting their fits correctly. Well, you, yeah, and, and you you run the same play over again, but when you when you start mixing and matching formations, you can catch guys too, either not ready because they don't know what the heck's going on alignment wise, or they're misaligned because yeah. they're trying to line up to the formation. Yeah, we can and we can motion and shift. I mean, motions and shifts are a huge part of our our offense as well. Uh, you know, false we'll do freeze calls. Um, you know, all things just to hold a key. Like we, so this really came when we were at Steelton. We had Malachi Young, uh, I think, was a junior that year, and, and he had a knee injury. And we had to put Stephen Pryor in there as quarterback. And Stephen was a good leader, but he was a linebacker. I mean, he he played backup quarterback. I mean, the numbers that we had at Steelton, and I think Irby, you know, uh, talked about this when he was on with you before. It's it's low numbers. I mean, so you don't really have a whole lot of backups. And you know. Steven did a great job of, of getting in there and running our offense, but it was so basic. I talked to Paul Myers, defensive coordinator at the time, and he's like, yeah, we probably practiced 45 minutes uh, a defense this week because you guys were so basic. And, you know, that's where we had a big conversation in the offseason about, you know, you can't make it easy for the defense. And I, I think that's something that we do. And, you know, piggybacking also off the, uh, off the no huddle. I mean, we are we can be a fast tempo no huddle. We could be a we're a no huddle where we'll read the defense and try to make the a good call. Um, I remember running a lot of lot. We were huddling, running a lot of pro i iso power. You know, you call a play, break out of the formation, line up in you know pro right thirty two iso, and all of a sudden they're in a bare front. Makes it real difficult to run a run an iso at them. And there's nothing you can do at that yeah. point, right? So you can we can make checks late. We can tempo when we see teams get tired. You know, when our kids get excited and we just get the momentum, sometimes we tempo even though our kids look like they're about ready to pass yeah. out. Yeah. But it's something that they're used to doing because that's the way we practice. And, you know, as you know, we practice faster than we play sometimes because it's easier to slow down than it is to speed up. So plus we get a whole lot of reps too. I mean, you know, talking to some guys and coaches of some guys before, like they're trying to get that perfect play in practice. And, and when you try to get that perfect play, you get five or 10 reps in, in practice where we may get 60 or 70 reps in practice. So one thing I've noticed over my career is kids aren't perfect. Coaches aren't perfect. You know, we're all going to make mistakes. Let's, let's try to adjust those on the fly, you know, and, and it's hard, you know, it takes a little bit to get used to, but you're not going to be perfect anyway. And in the game, games aren't perfect. Football is organized chaos, you know, so you may as well just teach the kids to, to understand you better adapt to chaos because it's going to ensue as, as that whistle blows because everybody wants to knock your head off. So, well, Not just um, 
the, the nice thing about football, most teams are, are filming practice, so you can kind of – you don't necessarily have to adjust on the fly, but if you see a mistake, you can go back and you can watch it on film and show your players that way. I think we do a good yeah. job of taking advantage of that where, you know, we're not slowing down practice. We'll address it later in the film and then try to get it right in another practice. And if we don't, you know, we'll scrap what we're trying to do. It won't be game ready, and maybe we'll, we'll wait the next week to do it. Yeah, and I know you're you're really big on that. Uh, I'm really big on that, and, and I know Irby and I talk about that all the time. You know, not only do you film, you better put notes on there, and you better make sure your kids are watching it. And, you know, trusting kids to watch it, it doesn't always work. But if you can get a couple of your kids to watch it, uh, you're never going to get 100%, at least not from my experience. Uh, but if you can get a couple of your kids to watch it, or you can revert back and pull it up on my phone at practice and show a kid, right. look at this is what you did. This is why I was trying to correct you yesterday. So no point in sitting there and thinking that you weren't doing something wrong when you were. Here it is. And once the kids see it, man, it makes a big difference for them too because they, I think they appreciate the fact that they can see what they did wrong. Easy learning tool for them. So yeah, huge advantage by tape and practice, no doubt about it. But it's really important to get that immediate feedback at home. Uh, make the notes on huddle, make sure you share it with the team and, and give them an opportunity to watch it because we know teenage kids, their, their lives are busy. You know, you got to get that stuff up early. So they have every second that they can be able to uh, learn not, from them. Not only are their lives busy, but they're, you know, they're squirrels. Their, their attention span <laughs> is, I mean, they, they can't sit down and watch practice. They just can't attention span wise. A lot of guys, they, they struggle with that. So you yeah, do, no, no. like what you said about showing a guy just standing there and showing a quick play, something that ha- you prioritize something that has to be corrected, and you kind of show the the player that that's at fault what they need to do, and that and they'll fix it. But if you do it like if you if you have in the context of an entire film session, then it might get lost in the mix. But yeah, the film and practice is big. Yeah. Yeah. And I would think, you know, being a teacher, I I think has helped me become a a really good football coach because you learn how to deal with people. You learn different learning styles. Um, You know, you know that kids do not have a long attention span, not most of them. Right. So, you know, you want to try to hit the masses. You don't want to try to hit the, you know, your, your kid, your bookworms, so to speak, that are going to put the time in because that's just who they are. You know, you want to hit the other kids. It's, you know, it's just like huddle sideline on during a game. I can have two linemen arguing about who did what, come who who should have come off a double team, and I said, just tell them, listen, it was your fault. And if they try to argue, look, here's the huddle sideline, buddy. I'll show you. And and they're like, okay, my bad. You know, <laughs> football's emotional, right? Yeah. It's not. It's never personal. But you know, kids get fired up. They're they're playing with emotions. You know, a lot of coaches. I mean, we coach with a lot of guys that get really fired up and play and coach with emotions. So. You know, so it's just one of those things. You just kind of here you go. It's a great learning tool. Let's fix it. Let's move on and switching gears here. You talked about working with quarterbacks and and spending time with them. And I just had uh, Coach Faust from Shippensburg was on here, and he he mentioned he's not going to have a football with his team until May. He does that intentionally so the guys they can weight train, they can take a little time with other sports, take a little time off of football. And and now we'll we'll incorporate a football, lower it off, and we'll do some things here in April. But you spent a lot of time with the quarterbacks, and you haven't used the football. Can you? Are you able to go? Can you talk about that a little bit? What you're doing, like what you did in the winter time with the quarterbacks? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so we typically I like to try to give the kids until after Christmas break, just 
just to get away. Uh, but when you had like we had a, we had a successful season from what Lower Dolphins had for for at least a, a couple years, and the kids were really excited to get back into it. I think some of them would have gotten back into it the next day if we would have allowed them to. But yeah, so one of the issues I've seen is everybody puts such an emphasis on on throwing, throwing, throwing when their footwork's so bad. So you know, we started kids wanted to start early. I think we started right after I think it was right after Thanksgiving. Uh, so the end of November, and we worked on some of the most basic footwork drills and hip rotation and shoulders association drills, and we just built on it. And basically what I got them up to was what they're going to do as a pre-practice warm-up, which is about a 15-minute warm-up, uh, upper body exercises, like I said, the hip rotation with the shoulders association, and you know, just making sure that they're throwing with, with the proper base. Because you could throw, but your base isn't very good. There's You're you're probably going to drop your hand under the ball, drop your elbow, balls floating on you, you know, things of that nature. And it, it's really, at least for us, it's it's more about the accuracy than being able to throw it all around the yard. You know, so you're going to have some kids over the years that develop into that. You're not always going to have that. At least um, I don't think that we're probably always going to have that, uh, although I think our future is pretty bright at the position. But, you know, it's it really comes down to, quick read, get the ball out of your hands. Um, you know, when teams start jumping that, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll try to hit them over top and maybe give a little bit more of a progressive read. But um, really, it's just a matter of got to get that base down because that's something that I noticed that we struggled with last year. And, I, you know, I've coached some kids that struggle with that in the past. And as soon as they get that base down, it seems like the throwing kind of takes care of themselves. So, yeah, I would not let them throw uh, for quite a few months. Um and then we'll get into throwing here next week, and and then we'll we'll get so many balls in. I you know you'd hate to see their their arms get and their shoulders start to get too sore too early, uh, which I've I've also seen. So yeah, we try to throw a little bit late and get that base down early. Uh, the other thing we do is you know we start a Google Classroom this year, and use that Google Classroom. Uh, I'll post uh, just basic workouts, light workouts, jump rope workouts, uh, film. Um, how to read coverages. I'll just basically film myself uh, talking on my computer. Um, and basically it's just, you know, it's filming my computer screen and just going through, this is what I'm looking at in terms of a front, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a three, four, four, three, look at the guys in the box, you know, how are they aligned? Look at coverages. I want our kids to be smart football players, but also look at it from, from the perspective of their offensive coordinator in regards to when I, when I'm talking to them, I want them to fully understand what I'm what I'm trying to tell them. So, you know, that's been beneficial too because it helps us be a lot smarter as football co- players, and you know, it gives us a nice connection going into even the off season here in, in a couple of weeks when we start our Wednesday night practices and our seven v seven. So, you know, the terminology's there. Um, it gives them an opportunity to see some of our film from last year as well. Can you get into or or at least just define when you say shoulder disassociation? What the, what exactly does that mean? Yeah, so the the hips should rotate. The ship as the hips rotate, the shoulders are are coming back, right? And that should be one one full movement. So you kind of look at it. I always try to relate it to to what most because we have a lot of baseball players that play quarterback, and you know you talk about it when you're up the bat. You know you're not just swinging upper body; you're using your lower body and driving those hips through. And try to relate it to that that you know the hips have to come through 
um, in order for the, the arm to come through accurately and, and consistently. And, you know, we'll, we'll be specific in regards to, you know, how we step and it's not going to be perfect. Like you don't want robots, but you want them to have a general idea. And then what we do is we overemphasize that stuff. And I tell the kids, listen, the way I'm teaching you, this is overemphasizing. You're not going to do it exactly like this in a game, but if you can overemphasize and get them to where you want them to be, it's better than trying to teach them where you want them to be. And then come game time, they become a little bit sloppy. So, Well, the, the world saw that video a few years ago of Dak Prescott warming up before a Cowboys game where he was doing those, you know, the hip rotation and shoulder yeah, does association the, drills. Yeah, and, yeah he does the, the hip step into the yep, hip yeah, rotation. And everybody thought it was silly. Everybody thought it was funny, but that's that's how quarterbacks warm up. Not, and you see it all the time now. You see quarterbacks doing that all the time in that drill. And that, that's a lot, a lot of that is what you're talking about. Am I right, Coach? Yeah, yeah. And I think it's it's one of those things, I mean, you can – I mean, there, listen, there's clinics all over the place. Heck, you can get on, you can just simply, and I tell kids this all the time, get on YouTube. Even yeah. if it's not what the coach is teaching you, it's still a different perspective of possibly the same thing. But, yeah, I think if you if you get stubborn and stuck in your ways and, and you think you have all the right answers, it kind of puts you in a bind because it, you're really not evolving. And football evolves. My gosh, it, it doesn't even seem like it evolves every year. It evolves every week. Yeah, you're right. You know, there's be something new. Um you know, so you want to do it, but you also want to make sure you put the time and study. You know, don't don't look at something and say, "Okay, I'm just going to do this." You know, spend a month or so in the off season as soon as the season's over. You know, break down your film, rewatch everything, get your tendencies even better than what you did throughout the season, and then start figuring out exactly what you're going to add and subtract from things that you've done the previous years. Because the reality of it is, you know, there there's certain things like we we did the kick step drill for the longest time and you know, doing a little bit of research and, you know, a lot of quarterback coaches that are much better than I am, you know, they talk about, well, you're never really in that position when you're throwing a football anyway. So to do that drill and they expect your kids to do that, it's not really carrying over to, to game situations. And I've always tried to, you know, starting as a secondary coach and a running back coach, really try to make sure that whatever drills we do fit what we're doing schematically and, and trying to evolve to make sure that our kids are going to be able to compete you know, at a very high level and, and not have any type of false movements, you know, especially as a secondary coach, you talk about false movements. I mean, if, if you're, if your vertical leverage isn't right and your first movement is dropping your hips, well, why would you start with your hips down where there's where you're going to drop them to anyway? Right. Right. You know, we talk about false steps with tailbacks and, you know, a lot of other positions. Why are you going to take a step back to take a step forward? You know, so it's a, it's about eliminating some of those wasted movements that are really that split second could be a difference between a pick six and you know and a touchdown. So, well, coach, I'm going to wrap things up there. I appreciate you coming on, dropping some knowledge. That was some good stuff. I appreciate you having me on, Mark. As always, you know, you and I always like talking football, so it's always yeah, a pleasure. We haven't had we've had a lot of like on the on the show. We've had a lot of like culture discussion and you know what people are doing in the off season. That, that's a good. You know, people have been asking about, you know, real football stuff. And that was some real football stuff there. That was good. Well, you know, it's always good to share. I mean, I, I've gotten a lot of stuff off of a lot of guys I've coached with and coached against over the years. And, you know, I'm always hope, happy to share. Hope, hopefully it helps somebody. I mean, you know, but listen, we got to rely on each other. I always look at it very prideful in the mid-pen. 
I always want to see mid pen teams win. You know, obviously you want to win as an individual, you know, your team, but you know, it's always prideful if you see a mid pen team playing for, uh, you know, a state title or, you know, working in state. So, you know, we help each other out. I know, you know, sitting down with, with coach Myers from Middletown, you know, we played each other. Uh, as soon as I left, we talked about things. He shared some offensive stuff with me and I shared some offensive stuff with him. And, you know, it's always good to learn from guys that are smarter than you. That's one thing that I always tried to do. Well, Coach, we'll have to do this again sometime. I appreciate it, but I'll let you go for tonight. Thanks for coming on, man. Absolutely, Mark. Thank you. Yep. I'll talk to you later. All right. See you.